this is Champagne Divorce Party, where we talk to inspiring women who have turned their divorce into the best thing that ever happened to them. We're your hosts. I'm Carolyn. And I'm Gillian. We're best friends who have not only survived brutal divorces ourselves, but thrived in our lives post-divorce. And now we run Champagne Divorce Club, where we help women navigate their separation, heal their hearts and transform their lives. Today we're joined by Anne Miles. Anne is a divorced mum of two grown men who says she has been consciously single for 20 years now and has no intention of marrying again. She loves her independence and has her own thriving business as a marketing consultant and coach. Welcome, Anne. Hi. Thank you very much for having me. What a good thing you're doing. Ah, Thank you. Thanks for being here. We we can't wait to hear your story. Absolutely. (laughs) It's a little Um, bit colourful at times. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. Um, so, and can you, um, first of all, let's start by maybe could you tell us a little bit about the marriage you were in and how long were you married, you know, how old were you when you met, that sort of thing? Yeah, I was probably a traditional um, country girl who met someone at 19 and was in the mindset that you're there forever. And I was brought up, yeah, quite a religious family, actually. And so traditional, I would say. So this traditional idea that you're in it for better and for worse, no matter what, you're going to stick at it. And there's a lot of shame around not being divorced as well, not being married. Mm. So Mm. I I was the only person I knew who was divorced when I got divorced. So it was huge. And so we met when I was 19 and I left at 39, so we were together 20 years total. Um, but now it's been almost that same amount of time single, which has been really interesting. So it's a beautiful piece of poetry, isn't it? Yeah, that's right, different. It's a very full-on thing. So I was definitely, you know, in that mindset of stick at it no matter what, and honestly I would say that that made me put up with some things that I really shouldn't have as well. So there were moments that, um, you know, were pretty uncomfortable and a little on the dangerous side actually. So Yeah. Yeah. So it was a bit tricky and, you know, I'm not here to bag anyone or say anything that's, you know, going to put anyone in trouble but definitely, um, yeah, there's more to that but definitely I needed to leave, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And, and yeah, as as you say, we're not here to to get anyone into trouble or to start any fight yeah, here or anything. That's but right. I'm curious about um, because and really the focus is on mm-hmm. you know why why divorce is awesome, but just to get a, a an idea of you know not so much what the marriage was like if that was if that's a difficult thing to talk about, but what what, what were you mm-hmm. like in the marriage? How were you? Yeah, as that's a, wife? a really good question because I feel like I was trying to live up to something that I actually wasn't, and I feel like I've you know, I'm a really career-driven person and I in the marriage I was in really big jobs. I was, you know, like running my own company at the time. I was had been, you know, um, head of television in big ad agencies running $20 million worth of creative production for the advertising industry. It was a really big job but at the same time at home I was also expected to do all of the cooking, all of the cleaning, all of the childminding, absolutely everything about keeping the house and the family together except four small jobs so my ex-husband's job was to feed the cat which he <laughs> complained about he had to do the dishes which he never did that day and um he put the rubbish out which was 
pretty good and just complained if I filled it too much and you know it was like impossible to live that <laughs> life I just absolutely couldn't and the other one was wash the car like wow <laughs> and, um, <laughs> I, it was just a, that pressure that we all have to overperform and be a super mum and super woman at home and you know super wife and, and super career I reckon it was just too much I couldn't I couldn't do it all and without the support, it was impossible, yeah. Mm, um, yeah, that sounds like it was such a massive heavy load for you. Um, so sort of how did things come to an end then? It's funny because, you know, a lot of people think, and even my ex-husband in early days, he said, you you left over a rowing incident? incident? <laughs> <So> <laughs> he thinks I left him in a rowboat because, but it, to me it was like, symbolic of our whole life so I was super fit at the time as well which is sort of a um, funny thing but we were in a canoe and the idea was he's sat up the front and he says yeah in a canoe this is what you do and because you know mansplaining and uh, he was going I'll row this side and you row that side and I'm like "Mm, whatever I'll just go along with it so I'm rowing away and and I could see we were like going to crash and so I'm overcorrecting in the back and I'm paddling 100 miles an hour and paddling and paddling to keep it going straight. And he's at the front going, row, row, rest. <laughs> and just cruising <laughs> and enjoying the scenery and the two kids in the middle between us enjoying the view. And I'm paddling madly 100 miles an hour. <laughs> and I'm trying to negotiate with him to help. And I'm going, oh, do you think you could help row? This is not sort of working, you know, with you rowing one side and me rowing another. He just wouldn't listen. And he just wouldn't listen. And I just ended up losing my call. <laughs> and I yelled at him and I said, I'm doing this whole thing by myself. And then put the oar up and said, I'm done. <laughs> and I said, you row like this. And uh, in that moment, I hung up the oar, I hung up our marriage. And it was such a symbolic experience for me of everything I was just doing it all and I couldn't do it mm-hmm. anyway the irony of the whole thing was that he then had to row and keep the whole boat on track and he lasted like about three minutes and I'd been doing it for the last hour like full bore <laughs> all by myself and then he finally goes oh I can't do this by myself you have to help me <laughs> anyway <laughs> It was hilarious, but anyway, he thinks I left him over the rowing incident. (laughs) (laughs) Because the rowing incident was your marriage. I did. It was the whole marriage and it was the straw that broke the camel's back. (laughs) It's been my whole life there. (laughs) I'm sure other people feel that way too. It's such a, like, stereotype for women to feel that we've got to do it all. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I I think, you know, really often too, women, we are sitting at the back of the boat, seeing everything, seeing it all, seeing what needs to be done, being the one that thinks what, which way do we need to go? We know who needs to do what. Yeah. Um, And and then trying to delegate and trying to take, you know, I was going to say take control. It's not that we want control. (laughs) No. (laughs) That's right. Um, It's it's over... uh, what's the word? It's like oversteering. You know, you sort of overdo it when someone's underdoing it, and that's a mistake, yeah. I think, ultimately, because you keep letting them do it, and absolutely having the breather. You know, and uh, yeah, I could have hung up the oar much earlier, but I didn't think of that. <laughs> yeah, we should have all just let it crash into rocks years ago. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Can you talk us through those early days? You know, when when you first did call time on your marriage, what 
how did you get through those early days? How did you keep your head above water and, and, and what sparked mm. joy for you at that time? Yeah, it was at first it was a really mixed feeling, I would say. There was definitely this, oh, my God, freedom is just massive. But then some of the realities of being divorced and when you have children, the sad thing is that you cannot get away from that other person. Um, you know, you're stuck with them for the life of your children, really. And a lot of the things that you hated about them, you never escape. And so learning that's disappointing, maybe it would also help people to know if there are things you can do to fix it before leaving, potentially that's a clue. So those things that you can't get away from, are they going to be workable? And if they're not, you can start dealing with it. And, I mean, I'd love to see less people divorced full stop and work things out. I felt like I did everything I possibly could at the time. There are some things in hindsight I don't know if I could have ever made it work, but, you know, I feel like if you both wanted to make it work, you could. Um, mm. I did feel generally through our marriage and the whole thing, you know how that saying, it's not a healthy saying because people would say, um, uh, it takes two to tango. So therefore both parties sort of assume blame, if you know what I mean. Mm. And I felt at the end where I was thinking I was to blame for things that I wasn't actually responsible for and then I looked back and I go, this tango analogy is really dumb because I'm doing all the dancing and I'm holding up the dead weight of a grown man who can't stand <laughs> up for himself and he's standing on my feet and biting me like I'm done. <laughs> it's just oh, it's like, like, not... it's like Tango Weekend of Bernie style. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly it. That's hilarious. <laughs> yeah, that's feel like you're just carrying it all. It's just, you know, not right. And mm. if there was a way that I could have changed that before leaving potentially, you know, that would have been a good thing. But I think you do have to get to a point when you've done absolutely everything you can. You, you just really have to draw that line. Mm. 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 And, and how did you cope that, you know, after after that, you know, when you – did you have your boys full, you know, most of the time or how yeah. did that work? Well, I did actually. And, the, you know, challenging thing at the time, I was of the mindset that, you know, children must have their father and have their parents sort of equally sharing in the whole thing. But the truth was my kids did not even ask where their dad was for seven weeks. So I don't think that's particularly normal, but there was a lot of circumstances at the time that were very difficult for them. And so it felt for all of us like a bit of a reprise at first. Um, so I think that sense of um, breather really did, really, really did help us. Um, but then, and then I think the other thing that helped me, my kids are mean a lot to me. And so they were the reason that I felt like I ended up leaving because I felt I could put up with stuff kind of much better on my own. But when I saw things that were impacting the kids or who they were becoming, I just drew a line and I couldn't have it. So I felt that afterwards, that sense of, um, putting a set of values in place that I couldn't before I felt really empowered to have that and I actually got a lot of help at how I could say that my values are very different than dad's about that without it being like dad's a moron you know like mm. I just never wanted to bag 
this guy and they, and when they were struggling with it I'd always try and help them see the good in what he did but not necessarily to rely on him for everything because some things weren't right for them but to say well this is the good bit about dad so let's you just use that about him and I'll do everything else and you come and see me and I'll look after it so they got to know what he was there for and could appreciate without feeling like everything was broken so I was proud of that but it was also empowering because I felt like yeah I don't in our house um you know we're not going to do that with each other because I believe in these are my values and this is how it's going to be in my house and when you're an adult you can choose how you want to live and I felt really really empowered by that Mm. I think that's one of the hardest things actually living in a house where your values are not aligned that's probably mm. the hardest of all of the things that I went through and even the load and the mis, you know, the misbalance of sharing tasks in the house and responsibilities. But the hardest of all was when your values are challenged. It's like really, really tough. So that has been the most, um, the biggest, biggest sense of freedom and like I got myself back when I could have my values back. Mm. Mm. Yeah, I love that. That's that that was the case for me too. I think we had very different yeah. values and I felt like I was constantly battling um, yeah. you know, all sorts of of um what you know, the ways that my ex-husband parented or the way my ex-husband just approached life, you know, and um yeah. there was something so liberating and wonderful about having my own home where I could just as you said, you know, that was it really hit home for me that in this house we do it this way yeah. and having nobody undermine it or argue with it or you know, accept That's your kids. <laughs> Yeah, I loved that it was one of the great things that I found early on as well was just the ability to call the shots and and explain yeah. that this is how we do it now yeah and calling the shots you know that is an empowering thing at the same time you have to be a bit careful because as a, you know when you're by yourself and uh, you know you're trying to raise independent teenagers there's a point where calling the shots and you know demanding over kids that the day runs out of that like when they're little it's sort of more of a disciplinary kind of telling people what to do but when they get a bit older that you know their own sense of values you have to rely on that for them to be able to be independent and that you have to learn how to live together rather than it be a dominating kind of space so I felt that showing them in the early days how important values were that really has helped them become so much nicer people I think in their adult life now so Mm. I feel like that's probably the one one of the best things yeah I'm proud of that yeah that's wonderful how how old were they when you separated from your husband yeah three and five so oh wow okay quite young yeah and now they're 20 um four and 21 yeah wow so, you know they whoever's birthday is next sort of makes them either two years or just it sounds like more than two years apart but yeah they're close yeah um so when you first were you know separated and in those early days I guess you know did you really know at that point that you were going to be making a conscious choice to give marriage the flick forever um no did that kind of come later (laughs) yeah it came later I'll be honest I feel like um I was definitely of the mindset that that was a 
the only way to move forward. Like I thought the next step is I'll get a boyfriend and then if it works, it'll, you know, either move on, it'll move into the next phase and then I'll end up definitely thought that I would be married again. The truth was when I got there and I'm going, hmm, this whole idea of being like sitting and watching TV together all night and, you know, <laughs> I, all of a sudden I can't be writing that blog or, you know, doing this, um, these meaningful things and changing the world. Like I have a content channel that's, you know, very much about re-educating the marketing world into conscious marketing practices. I just, it just felt like I diminished myself in my marriage and I have felt like, uh, you know, having someone totally over my world in that sort of traditional sense is just going to limit me going where I want to go. And unless there's someone else going there, I was I'd be open to that. But I haven't found anyone who actually is my equal in that way yet. And the, so I've kind of got into a couple of serious, you know, monogamous type relationships for once for you know the first three months, and I was like actually almost hyperventilating with suffocation. It was just terrible. And I thought, oh, just no, nah, I'm not doing this. You know, that expectation, oh, the weekend's coming, so you're going to be staying at each other's house and you're going to do all these same things together at the same time and go everywhere together, go to other people's houses as couples. I'm like, oh, I just <laughs> can't do it. <laughs> I was just really freaking out. And so then I was going, oh, this, does that mean that I'm just going to be by myself? Oh, God. Anyway, so I'm going, oh, in the meantime, whatever, I'll just have some fun. And the, and the irony was I'd go out and, you know, dance or whatever with friends and I'd meet people and my girlfriends are going, oh, that guy's so hitting on you. And I'm going, what, really? Like I think when you've been married a long time, you don't even know what it looks like when, mm-hmm. you know, someone's hitting on you and you act married. So you don't know how to have a, a like a um, connection with somebody that is telling them, "Oh, you're kind of cute." <laughs> so you you don't you're not used to it. It's kind of a weird thing. So I sort of did a bit of learning about that. And anyway, the girlfriends are going, "Oh, that guy's hitting on you." And I go, "He's so much younger than me. What are you talking about?" Like I wouldn't. Um, I didn't. Don't think so. And then I they kept saying it, and I'm going, "Really?" And then at one point, I went, "Oh well." Let's see. <laughs> so I said, okay, <laughs> instead of going, oh, no, oh, if they're inviting me somewhere, I'll go, oh, no, I've got to go home now. Thanks. See ya. <laughs> instead of saying that, I'll say yes and see what happens. And so it was like all of, you know, another lifestyle opened up at that point. And so I, I've only honestly had a proper monogamous relationship for six months of 20 years um three and three years is just like (laughs) (laughs) now I just have beautiful amazing people in my life when I feel like it and um you know sort of regular and then there's fresh and some like there's a guy that I recently just sort of closed that chapter and you know always think fondly of him but it was you know went on for six years um Mm. but he had other things going on I had other things going on like I think there's a lot of people who would be judgmental about it, but I'm going, it actually is a really, like, good ecosystem. There's a whole world of people like this out there and we're all really okay to, you know, live our own lives and enjoy each other's company in the moment. Um, I did also have a weird experience earlier this year where 
I thought I was going to have one of those and this person I just we went oh my god this is like mind-blowing but of course we both freaked out and he was a lot younger so I'm going oh I didn't know that I could had that in me <laughs> so <laughs> I'm not sure what's coming next so I don't know whether it was COVID <laughs> sort of changed the structure of things because I haven't been able to live quite the life that I might have had before um so we're not sure so you just got to be open to whatever it could be next <laughs> I love that I love that that you know the idea of just being open and seeing what happens obviously as yeah. you say COVID must have put a little bit of a dampener on things there for a while yeah it did actually yeah thank god one of my kids left their cat with me <laughs> so like, oh my god because that's probably the one good side you know where you have that um companionship because I normally I get it in different ways and um, so, yeah, the cat was a good filler. <laughs> <laughs> and so how do you do, I mean, that, that part of your life aside, you know, obviously you've got your work, which is really important to you and you've got yeah. your kids. And, and how would you describe your life now? I definitely feel like I'm the, um, unlimited. Like I am building a global company now and I'm sure there's people that would have thought that that was delusional. Um and sometimes I go, is that, am I overstepping here? But um, so it's a marketing um, facilitation company. So my, I connect up a lot of really amazing talent all around the world and kind of keep the job on track for people. So it's slightly different in my industry. So it's quite, um, I, I've won some awards for it and everything at the moment. It's been very cool. So it's quite disruptive. Um, and so I've been, I've been through all this divorce stuff. So and that was like probably one of the hardest things that I did. And I go, if I can do that, I can run a global company. So <laughs> now it's like the, a good win recently was we did a job for Apple and it was with the American Apple and used some talent in Japan. So the global thing is actually coming alive now. And so mm. I feel quite yeah, excited by that. And I definitely know I could not have done it in the life that I had before. Mm. So it's very empowering and I get a lot of meaning out of what I'm doing because I'm actually helping a community of like 17,000 talent, like marketing talent on my database. And so I feel like I'm helping heaps of people get recognition for what they're good at and I'm changing policy and, you know, changing the way the industry works. It's just the best fun ever. <laughs> It clearly lights you up. It's wonderful. I think it's it's always yeah. so inspiring to see women who have found their thing, you know, and yeah. it sounds like maybe that wouldn't have been the case if you'd stayed married. That's right. And it's partly, you know, through adversity I think I've had my biggest successes. I think that's often something that people want to ask me about because a lot of people think that, you know, it's going to succeeding in this gives you the next success or you know, there's the, and then a lot of people feel like they're failures, but I feel like the worst adversity I've been through has created the biggest opportunity as well. I like stand for taking stereotypes out of media and marketing, and I wouldn't even have known about it. I would have been blind to just living the life like everybody else because the stereotypes make you think it's real. And to think that I had to be this perfect housewifey sort of person when actually I'm not that person. I'm the person who's supposed to be building a global company and empowering a community of, you know, it could be 100,000 talent in the future. Uh, that's who I'm supposed to be. 
it's, mm. funny, it's a funny story you might enjoy. So when I was little, um, I was actually really excited about this. So in, and I've done it for my kids now just at home. So we had a time capsule put in a like a big hole in the ground in our country town in South Gippsland. And in 25 years, it was to be opened. So it was to be opened in the year 2000. So the very funny thing was when I got it open, there was a letter from my mum and dad and, and grandparents and stuff. It was so exciting to open. And one of the things that they did for all of us is they made a prediction of what kind of job we would have in the future. <laughs> and for me, my parents wrote that they imagined that I could be something quite high up in a corporate, you know, um, private corporate business and thought that the aspiration was you could even be the CEO's secretary. <laughs> and uh, that is like what people saw as the biggest possible success a woman could have. And Back so I looked at 75, yeah, <laughs> in 1975, and I go, that's probably what I thought was the path for me, but truthfully now I understand they saw you know, that sort of commercial side and a success side. But this is another whole level than I would have imagined and I, I would not have had it without this divorce. <laughs> oh, that's really amazing. And um, I'm very much interested in what you say about that um, surviving through adversity, uh, yeah. not just surviving but, you know, thriving because there's a lot of studies around at the moment talking about post-traumatic growth and... Yeah what happens um, when you kind of hit a form of rock bottom, I guess, when you hit that sort of spot and then it allows you, it kind of breaks you open enough to um, really grow and to experience something amazing and that certainly has happened for myself. Um, what what do you think is the, the greatest area of growth that you've had? Because you obviously were a successful per person anyway. You were doing big jobs and all that kind of thing. What's the biggest area of growth for you, do you think? Yeah. I do think there's two answers to that. So firstly is that I didn't really see it as doing something for myself, by myself, and I felt like I um, – it was actually a really big step to get out of my comfort zone and go – actually, you need to do this, Anne. And I feel like I was a bit of a follower. I think even as a kid, if I got A grades, my brother wasn't so interested in school and wasn't so great. He's a super intelligent guy, but he just didn't apply it at school and it was not his sort of thing. So I was really taught my parents meant well, and I'm not meaning to sound like I'm criticising. There was just a sort of a factual thing in our family that as a successful girl, I had to be quiet about it. And I had to hold myself back to not make a man feel bad. That's sort of the learning that I had. So I feel like yeah, coming out of um, that was a huge learning and a huge opportunity that I just didn't know was available to me first. And then um, I think also there's a whole lot of self-development work that I've done through, you know, completely falling apart perhaps. Like I ended up with proper post-traumatic stress disorder out of, you know, some things that happened. And so to get through that, I felt like I couldn't rely on psychologists and all those things because they don't actually solve the stuff you need solved. You have to take responsibility for yourself. So I live a very conscious 
life now. So I go, okay, so here's where I'm at. Is this where I want to be? Is this the decision I'm going to make? This is me making my own choices now and there's no such thing as things that happen to you. Like there are things that happen to you, of course, accidents and, you know, you go one way and something happens and you've, but it's what you do with it, I think, is what I've learned. So I am completely uh, like a nerd. Oh, you can probably, you know, on my wall there's certificates everywhere. I've learned everything I could possibly learn about taking responsibility for yourself. And I think that really helped kids as well. So I don't think that self-development, self-responsibility part I ever had before. I think I just went along with what was dealt. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I love that. That is amazing. Um, and thank you so much, and for sharing your story with us. Um, okay. We really love how you've actually turned around this situation. You've... Mm-hmm. You know, it's got it had this adversity, and you've grown obviously so amazingly from it. You've taken responsibility, love all of that, and it's really amazing to see you so lit up by what you do. It's it's wonderful. You've obviously really turned your divorce into the best thing that ever happened. Yeah, and it, it's nice when you get that point when you say that to someone who's going through it fresh. They'll be really annoyed by that. Like I've written a book too that I wouldn't have done before. Um, it's called From the Chaos for Life's Difficult Moments and it's like how you can make the best of what you've got. And so I feel like in that moment when you're really under stress, you don't necessarily believe hearing that, but I'm saying there is a day when you feel like that. that it does come around. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay. yeah, yeah, and you're right, it will come. Um, I think we've both discovered that, haven't we, Jilly? Absolutely. um okay and let's finish with our fast five questions are you ready ready (laughs) okay let's start with what was the hardest thing about divorce it's definitely a sense of failure um the biggest of all and sort of shame that is packaged up with that when you have the society's expectation that that's success so having Mm -hmm. a marriage and children and you know the house and good job all those things that shame and for me the expression of that was when one of my kids said um when this was all happening um and I'm going to say you said I have two boys I actually have a child that's transgender so back when this child was assigned a female she said to me if I was a better girl would dad still be in the house oh oh, that's like I have completely failed as a parent like that was just the worst thing yeah. We have that in common, and I have a, a son who's transgender oh. as well. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. Yeah. yeah. Congratulations. <laughs> I know, thank you. And to you. They're, well, mine's yeah. delightful. Like, he's, he's, I've learned so much and, uh, yeah, and continue yeah. to learn. He's amazing. <laughs> yeah, mine's amazing. He's like so super buffed now. You'd never know. <laughs> it's amazing. <laughs> it's incredible work and effort he's put into to be who he wants to be as well. Yeah, I think there's something really, this is a a small aside, obviously, nothing to do with divorce, but I think that there's um, there's something really, and mine's mine's, uh, turning 17 in a couple of months and and already is just the most, you know, self-actualised, self-assured, like knows himself inside and out better than, you know, I was going to say I did at that age, but probably even better than I do now. So, <laughs> yeah, I think the same. I look at my kids and I go, "You're so advanced." I mean, sometimes you know, with all this self development, what they've been through, you wonder if they're too far ahead for their peers. But there's a lot of good pe- good people who really take responsibility now, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. absolutely, absolutely. Um, next question: Who got you through your darkest days? Yeah, definitely my kids. 
um, that feeling like I can't let them down and I can't be, uh, you know, playing my low game. Like I had felt like it just kept me performing and being positive and seeing the best out of everything. Um, yeah, I'm so grateful for them for being there. Sometimes I wonder what it would be like if they weren't, but you must have other things. But that was huge for me. And I think just my own brain as well and learning and being the best I could be just got me through. Mm. Um, okay, so what about what's been your proudest moment since divorce? Yeah, uh, I definitely think that it, for me it's the business side of things. Like that's not everybody's cup of tea. I totally know it. But I felt like um, I was recognised by an award um, by Westpac for being one of um, Australia's 200 businesses of tomorrow. So it's a winner of this quite big competition. And I just went, oh, my God, somebody noticed. <laughs> so that gave me such a power to keep mov- moving when I didn't know, always have that energy. Mm. I'm mm. very uh, yeah, proud of that. <laughs> what's been your biggest gift from your divorce? Yeah, I think ultimately it's self-respect. Mm, short and sweet love that yeah. one. <laughs> um, and the last question is number five what advice would you give to mm. someone going through a tough breakup I honestly think it's negative talk so I especially wanted to support what you're doing because it is about the positive side and there is a lot of positive it's just a hard road in the beginning and there's a lot of little avenues in that that all equate to that same thing so negative talk also is in your own head because you make yourself a failure you make yourself a bad parent you just say all these negative things and all it does is just you know hold you back from moving forward and so you know taking that negative talk out of your head is important but secondly I think that your experience and what you're going through Nobody else actually really gives a damn and I think a lot of people um, who are friends actually try and keep you stuck by pandering to your whinging and complaining and woe is me, I need help. And, you know, I think having a community where you can be safe to talk about that, to get the venting out that you need, but to the outside world I just don't talk about it. Like (laughs) I went through a phase and I went, you know what, I'm going to set myself a rule that if I can't say anything nice I'm not going to say anything at all and for a little bit of time I felt like I had nothing to say but that was (laughs) totally terrible but I was exhausted by hearing about it and it kept me stuck and so some of the friends that wanted to hear all my problems and wanted to drag me back into that all the time I've actually got rid of them so no negative talk Mm, I love that that's amazing um thanks again for joining us and you absolutely sound like someone who's turned your divorce into the best thing that's happened to her. Cheers to you. Oh, thank you so much and bless you and hope lots of um, people are really um, helped by the good work you're doing. So thanks. Thank you. Thanks, Anne. Thanks for listening to Champagne Divorce Party. If you're going through a tough breakup and would like support from industry experts and a community of like-minded women, come over and join our divorce club at champagnecartel.com slash divorce. Catch you next time.